and desire for something being two different things. Then we talked about revelation, getting a revelation of God, going from knowledge and getting a hunger for revelation of who God is and not just what God can do. How many know that you can't separate God and what he does unless you're focused on what he does only? When you focus on his eyes, you also get what he does. If you just focus on his hands, doesn't mean you focus on his eyes. And, and it's kind of like this. If I gave you a million dollars because you're a million dollars in debt, you might be really excited and go tell everybody how awesome I was, but do you know me or do you know what I have? You guys staying with me? And if you went back and I told you I had more money for others, you would go and tell them, hey, you're in debt. That damn Palmer guy, he has money for you. He's a pretty good speaker. Most of the time, sometimes a little quirky, but pretty, not too bad. He's entertaining. He has freckles. So if you get bored, just do dot to dot. And, and so you should come and he'll pay your debt for you. Well, why are they coming? Because of who I am or because of what I... But see, if you get to know who I am you, and you get to be part of my family, then you get all that I have as well. So we're not taken away from what God does. Listen, I love to watch God move. I love the prophetic. I love to see healing and power. And I've seen tons. I've seen amazing things. And I even believe tonight the Lord gave me a picture, a, a vision tonight of people's hearts being set free. And as their hearts were being healed, their physical bodies were being healed. Literally just going through. And so a lot of times God likes to heal the physical to get to the heart. And I just felt like tonight he's going, no, no, I'm going to start with the heart to heal the physical. How, how many have any some physical needs tonight? All right, so you, you really want to pay attention tonight, all right? Because God's just, woo, yeah. Yeah, just fun stuff like that. Yeah, just fun. So that's exciting. Okay, so, um, and then last night we spent time really getting into the good news. Anybody remember what the good news is? Can say it in a nutshell? I told you in an hour and a half. See if you can say it in about two minutes or a minute. What is the good news? Oh, man, who was here last night? Man, who was here last night? What is the good news? Come on now. The kingdom of God, his glory. God, his one kingdom and his glory. Now pay attention. I, I, we're going to keep this, kind of get this clear. I'm not losing anything here. The good news is that who he is. The way we get that good news is what he did. Let me say that again. The good news is who he is and what he brings to the table, his kingdom, the way he is. Remember the difference between a president and a king. A president is by the people, for the people. The king is about the kingdom, and everybody's about the kingdom. When it's about the president, you elect what you want from him, and if you like him, you, you vote for him. If you don't like him, you try to get him out of office. But when it's the kingdom, it's no longer about the people. It's about the king. And see, a lot of us are coming out of democracy and need to come into a dictatorship. And that's scary for us because we don't like to lose control, but this is the best dictator ever. <laughs> Hello. Now, I'm not asking for that in our physical realm, but spiritual realm. You guys staying with me? And he, he's asking, and there's a kingdom involved. And you say, well, well, doesn't he want what I want? He does when you want what he wants first, though. It starts with desiring. He says, delight in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart he loves your desires but when they're filtered through his eyes through, filtered through his heartbeat and that's what he wants so the good news is that God came and Jesus came to this earth to be the king and set us free from what our kingdoms ourself and all the things we've ever done all the sins what is the sin the desire to be our own our own king our own God to have our own kingdom to love what we love and to hate what he hate some of us love a lot of what God loves but we just didn't hate what he hated and God's drawn us in to not just love him as who he is, but love also what he loves and hate what he hates. How many know when you love what he loves and hate what he hates, you're going to have a lot of peace? How many know that's what marriage is about? 
A lot of us love the idea of the person. We just don't always love all that what they love and hate all they hate. <laughs> Hence the bickering. But then when you learn to lay down your life for one another, you begin to love what they love and hate what they hate. You guys staying with me? And did you guys remember it's a big wedding that we're going to be a part of at the end of time? And he doesn't want one of those nagging brides. He doesn't want a dripping faucet. He doesn't want a gold digger. Let me say that again. It's because many of us are going to Jesus for what he did, can do, and will do, but forgot to go to him because he is. Wouldn't that be called a gold digger? He's not looking for a gold digger. He's not looking for a nag. He's looking for a hot bride. He's looking for an Esther who's wasting her time on this earth just that he might look upon her. You guys remember Esther? She came and she was actually considered one of the slaves, but somehow she got chosen because of her beauty. And the cool thing is, you know why there's an opportunity for a new queen to come in town? Because the first queen wouldn't come when the king asked. She was too busy doing the business of the kingdom, but not with the king himself. Well, come on now. He says, well, fine. I'm going to get me a queen that actually wants to be with me. <laughs> and so then they went and got all these women, and they spent a year just preparing in all kinds of different ways of beautifying themselves. And girls, so when you want to go to the salon, that's cool, because that's what Esther did, right? So you can just go there all day long. Just tell, say it says in the Bible, so I can go, right? And so... <laughs> And they went in there and, and they, she, she prepared for one year, just preparing. And for those that are in ministry, she was prepared by one that was a eunuch. A eunuch means he had no intention to get that woman to look at him. But to make sure that eunuch was going to prepare for the one that might look upon her. How many want to be like Esther and waste your life just getting ready for the one to look at you? And check this out. And this is the beautiful thing about Esther is that she was intimate with the king Hello, because she married him. She was in vulnerability, vulnerable before the king in the, in, in, the, in the room, right? In the bedroom, vulnerable, but then also understood the authority of the king in the throne room. Well, come on, church. The gospel in Esther is the balance of a true intimacy and understanding the fear of the Lord at the same time. Beginning of wisdom and beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. This is, this is really important that we get this. The fear of the Lord is not just a little bit respect or, hey, that's cool. Isaiah actually says he, it causes you to dread. It causes you to tremble and to shake to the point you cannot even, you, you can't even feel like you can live in the midst of that presence. You say, why, why would you want to have that? So when he says, I love you, you go, whoa, you love me. <laughs> I can't even bear your presence and you're the one that loves me? But if you have this image of a guy 2,000 years ago with a beard that, you know, kind of, uh, kind of, kind of think hipster world or whatever, you know, that's kind of cool. But when you realize the one who is the great I am, the alpha and the omega, and you understand, and, and, and one of the, fear, remember the seven spirits we talked about on, on Sunday? The seven spirits, one was the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord opens our eyes to who he is. And when we see who he is, then we realize the one who loves us. We realize the one who died for us. See, a lot of us know what he has done. We just haven't had our eyes open to the one that did it yet. Oh, we have an idea. We have a slight picture. But we haven't had a revelation of this yet. And it's in the fear of the Lord that will change your heart. I was in a really bad place in life and about 24 years old, 25 years old. I left ministry, got out of all that kind of stuff and was just doing whatever and... 
I came back and a guy was kind of saying, hey, Dan, just go sit in a hotel by yourself and I just want you to just think about things. So I went and I was thinking about things and been in church most of my life and, and I went to Bible school, been in ministry, but at this point I was in a lot of sin. And I was sitting in that place and going, God, how did I know so much about you? How did I could say so many verses about you, but still deal with all the things that were dealing with inside of me to get to me the place that I'm at today? How many have been there before? And I literally was like, I, I have no idea. And I, I said, obviously, there's something either, you're, there's something wrong with you, which is probably not the case. I had enough theology to understand that was probably not the case. So therefore, the conclusion is, there's probably something wrong with me. And I said, God, what is, what is going on in me that I can know so much about you, know the scriptures, see you move in power and miracles, but still be lost inside with fear, insecurity, and even have a lust for sin. And yes, I say no most of the time, but I say yes enough to notice that I don't have the, the intimacy with you like I should. What is going on? And so I opened up to Proverbs chapter 2, and I didn't mean to. I just kind of did the whole really biblical thing of open up the Bible and wherever it opens up to, you start reading. Well, I did that. And I got to that point, and it said, the beginning of wisdom. And I stopped and said, I don't have wisdom. And he goes on, the beginning of knowledge. I said, man, I lack knowledge of you. Is the fear of the Lord. And I shut the Bible and said, I don't fear you. Oh, I, I know I should fear you. I know if I probably saw you, I'd be afraid. I know I have the idea of fearing you, but I actually lack the revelation of fearing you. I have the knowledge I should fear you, but typically I fear not paying my bills. Typically I fear people not loving me. People I fear that people are going to reject me or I won't be accepted. And when I say that, I, I was an A-type personality. I'm an athlete. I, I'm a leader-type kind of person. So you wouldn't know that about me, but I knew deep inside what was really going on. And I had all these other fears of being possibly being a failure. And, and possibly not being good enough. And all these things of how will, how will I make it later in life? And who will I be? And who will know who I am? And will people remember me? Am I significant? Anybody else deal with those issues? And I realized as I was in that place that I feared those things, truly feared those things, and had the knowledge I should fear God. And so I shut my Bible and I walked away. I actually went running that day. Got lost as of my first third day into Atlanta. That was 16 years ago. And I went running and got lost. Couldn't find my place again, hotel, because I haven't been there before. And I don't know, it took me hours and somehow I found it again. And nothing happened. But I read in the scriptures, I think it's in Luke 11, it says, knock and the door shall be open. And that knocking is an interesting knocking. It's right before that verse, it talks about, this might be Luke 11, Luke 15, you'll have to look it up, but you'll catch it. It talks about a man who has a friend that comes over and his friend comes over late. How many have had one of those friends that come over late? Yeah. And then you have no food. <laughs> so you're like, man, we need to go get something to eat. Get out there, it's on a Sunday night, nothing's open. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, well, this guy, that happened to him. He had a visitor come. He had no food. So he went to his friend's house late at night. 
Now, if you have kids, you know how irritating this is when somebody knocks on your door and your kids are sleeping. How many know what I'm talking about? Anybody with kids, been around kids, been a big brother or sister, and all of a sudden somebody knocks on the door or rings the doorbell. We have a little kid next to my house right now, my next door neighbor. His favorite thing is to come to my house, hit the doorbell to ask my little son, Judah, can come out and play. And he hits it all day long. And so right, we get the baby asleep. We're like, okay, shh. Ding, dong, ding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Open up little Johnny. Hi, mister. Is, is little Judah here, please? I'm like, oh, I'm going to kill you, little kid. And yeah, Judah, get outside. Go play. Wakes up my kids because I don't want my kids to wake up. And that's what happens. This guy knocks on the door. He says, I have a friend and I don't have any food for him. Can I get some bread from you? And the guy says, dude. And it says, because he's his friend. How many know when it's your friend, you could talk a certain way, right? right. You could say, he's like, go away. My kids are sleeping. How many know he's a really good friend when he won't go away? <laughs> the one you don't like at all. <laughs> I need food. We're hungry. I have a guest. I have kids. Go away. Until he'll get up and give him the food. So when he says seek, it's, it's not one of these little, hello? No? Okay. It's a pounding, it's a desperation until you get what you're looking for. And too many of us are going to God going, God, would you? No, okay, I'll do it myself. He wants to know what you're hungry for. He wants to know what you're desperate for. Are you desperate for him to be your answer? Or are you okay finding your own answer? See, when you're desperate for the answer, like that man was desperate to get food for his visiting friend, you won't leave that door until you get what you want. And it's not begging. You're not begging of him. You're confident in him. Come on now. You're not begging of him, but you're confident. He says, seek it and it shall be open. Seek and you shall find. The knock and the door shall be open. And the kind of seeking that would be is if I told you that there's a million dollars in this building, but you had to find it. I'm sure you wouldn't just look under your chair and be like, oh, I didn't see it. What would you be doing? You'd be running around. Somebody would be knocking holes in the wall. Oh, this wasn't built as a church. I'm sure it'd be all right, you know. I'll get a million dollars and pay for it, right? You'd be desperately looking for it. And when I realized I didn't fear the Lord, I began to look for it. I began to ask the spirit of the fear of the Lord to hit me. That I spent hours in the Bible. I spent hours in doing worship service. I spent hours in preaching. I've done, seen people get demons cast out, heal the sick. I've seen all kinds of things. But I was missing, actually, I don't know if I've seen any demons cast at that point. I've seen tons now. But at that point, I don't know. But I saw lots of healings. I saw tons of healings. I saw all this stuff going on. But I realized I was in the power of God and enjoying the joy of the Lord in that way. But I wasn't knowing who I was enjoying because I didn't understand the one that was in power. It's like me. You would understand that I have a million dollars. doesn't mean you actually know who I am. So therefore, we can't have a proper relationship. It's based on what I'll do for you. As soon as I don't give you the million, guess what you're going to do? Especially if you only ask for 10 bucks and I don't give it to you. What's going to happen? Knowing that I'm rich and I don't give it to you, now what's going to happen? Because maybe I didn't give you the $10 right then because I want to spend more time with you to get to know you, but you wanted what I have, so you only came to meet with me to get something, never to see me. And I wasn't, wasn't, wasn't going to give you the $10. I was holding out that maybe we spend some more time together, that you wouldn't run off with the $10 again. I'm happy to give you the money. I just wanted time with you. Oh, 
Come on, church. See, when we fear God, something changes. You no longer fear the future. You don't have to have faith about your bills because you fear God. You don't have to have proclamation. You have faith towards your bills. What I mean is you, have, you don't have to have a proclamation. You actually just live in this supernatural peace in the midst of chaos. You become the calming of the storm when you understand the fear of God. Five years I searched out for the fear of God and I got little glimpses, but I was not baptized in the fear of the Lord. And I kept on looking for it and I kept on looking for it. And I kept on realizing every time I go back to Dan Palmer and be like Dan Palmer, I knew what the problem was. I had all the right doctrine, I just lacked the fear. Because I knew the fear of the God, when I saw who he was, it would set me free from who I wanted to be without him. How many have been in this place where you want God because he's God, but you still want your life too? The way you get rid of that desire of wanting your own life is coming to a place of understanding the one that wants to take your life and to give you a new life and a life abundantly. And the way you get that is through the spirit of the fear of the Lord, which you must seek and go after. And when I tell you that I went after five years, I already been in church, I think 15 years. I already went to Bible school. This is like five years after all that stuff that I began to seek the Lord. I, I came out of, I have a master bedroom in my, in my house and upstairs and no one was in my house. I don't know where they were at. I don't remember. But I came out of the sink area of my bathroom and I was walking through my bedroom. And all of a sudden the presence of God hit me so heavily. In that moment, I fell to my knees. And it kind of like hit me like I was just walking like, dun, dun, bam, like I just felt his presence. And his power of him and who he was began to hit me so hard that I couldn't stop trembling. And I began to shake and I began to say, oh God, oh God, oh God. And his presence kept getting heavier. I was like, more Lord, more God, more. And it got so heavy that I actually thought I was going to die. I said, okay, okay, I can't, no, no more, no more. And it began to lift. I'm like, no, more, more, more. He says, that's enough. And that baptism of the Lord struck something inside of my heart. That all of a sudden the things that used to hold my heart and keep pulling me away from God were now loosened and they no longer had power over me. I might think about them, but now they lack the power over me. Too many of us are proclaiming Jesus but lack the power of Jesus because you don't know who truly Jesus is. We know the principles of his power, but we're lacking understanding the one that carries the power so therefore, we're still in chains and bondages, although we have the principles of freedom. We're not living free. We're living like the world. No, we may not be in all the sins of the world, but we're still living the same worry, anxiety, and all the same things they're doing. We're living for that same place. That is not heaven on earth. <laughs> heaven on earth is a life of peace and joy inside of you. Now, this is important you understand something. There's a difference between the fruit of your labor and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of your labor is you do your job and then God has to do his job for something to actually show up. Ask a farmer. <laughs> a farmer does their part, but at the end of the day, it's up to God to hold the reins, bring the reins, hold the sun, you know, whatever he has to do to make it perfect, it's up to God. So all they can do is plant the seed, you know, make the aisleway, plant the seed, bury it, and now wait. You guys staying with me? That's the fruit of your labor. Just do your part, God will do his. 
The fruit of the Spirit is something that it becomes the very essence of who you are. You don't talk about peace, you are peace. And it's really important, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit. There's one fruit, and with that one fruit comes all those aspects. Kindness, joy, peace, long-suffering. It's a result of an encounter. How can we know so much about the Spirit of God, but lack the very image of, the, of Him? I believe one of the biggest things missing in the church today is the fear of the Lord. And if that's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, then what are we working in? If we're not walking in the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, then what are we walking in? Are we walking in the idea of God but still the foolishness of men? Right now, some of you think, Dan, if he just says the right words, I'll be free. Tonight, I'm coming to get a good word. You just missed it. I can't set you free. I can't say anything that will set you free. It's what you seek that will set you free. Now, I might say something to cause your heart to start seeking something. Do you understand? I could say something to tempt your heart to start having an appetite for something. But it's you and your seeking that will release you, not the laying of hands. Not, it's you and your seeking, what you're after. What are you after? Are you after salvation or are you after the fear of God? When you fear God, that will save you from all things, not just your sins. It'll save you from the fear of men, the fear of failure, the fear of what happened in the past, the fear of tomorrow, and even the fear of today. It will set you free. And imagine, what would you do with your life if you had no worry? How much time would you have? That is a heavenly realm. In heaven, is anyone worried? How many want to get in that place? How much time have we wasted as being Christians in worry? Now, is God upset? No. I'm not upset when my kid poops their pants over and over and over. It's just kind of gross. <laughs> I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Man, I just took a total switch to where I thought I was going, which is so awesome. Who knows where we're going to end up today because I have no idea. thought he told me right before he got here, but maybe that's for me because I was just soaking up having a good time. This part just gets me, this, this messes me up a little bit. I hope this messes you up a little bit. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to read right through Hebrews 6, 1. Are we able to get the scriptures up there today, guys? I don't know if you are. I don't know. Thumbs up, yes or no? Isn't that like really bad that a guy has a Miami, hat, Miami Heat hat on here in Ohio? I thought that would be bad, like Cleveland and stuff, but it's okay. Okay, go steal it. Well, that's different too. Okay, so... Yeah, uh, man, Atlanta. There are no Atlanta fans in Atlanta, so that's all right. So here it goes in verse 512. Hopefully you have this. You can read it with me. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God. How many know that's usually what Sunday morning is all about? Can I make it clear? Just a little side note. Sunday service is not for unbelievers. The Bible wasn't written for unbelievers. Think about all the Bible. What's it all written for? Believers. 
Church is for believers. My house is for Palmers. There's a lot of people that come to my house and they see what we are like as a family and they want to join my family. Well, come on now. Are you guys catching on what I just said? But if I made my house around all the visitors, my kids would want to leave my house. Oh, come on, church. We're so afraid of what a visitor is going to think. Are we, do we not know who we are? My kids are proud to be Palmers. I literally, my son's 16, and his new student, students in ministry are coming in. I have to watch them because they're gonna, the girls are going to wait for him. I'm not joking. It's weird. But they're like, oh, he's 16. He's almost, I'm like, back it up. <laughs> back it up. First, I, no, I'm not even going down that world. But that's, what's cool is that here's a 16-year-old just doing life, not even worried about that. And people say, I want to be a part of that family. And we're not doing our lives so people want to be a part of family. We're just doing a family, and people want to be a part of that family. And imagine the church was that way. That's John 17, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. It's freeing. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. But here it is, most of our Sunday services, we, we cater towards the new people possibly coming in, and we typically talk about things that are milk to help people be able to digest, because we don't want anybody to choke on anything, right? And we sit there, and we do this, and we do it all over the nation, this is what we, the world, and we typically have these Sunday services that are kind of broken down, kind of mucked down, and we eat, the, it's like our pastor has to chew up the food for us, then take it back out of his mouth and give it to us, versus him show you the steak and you go get it. You guys staying with me? Yeah, I think the birdie saliva is a little bit better than ours, though. That's the nicer part of that. So you're right, though. It is like the birdie. For though the time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the principles. The first, everybody say first principles. Of the oracles of God. That's the ways of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Who wants, who wants to get an appetite for steak and not just milk? How many want that of the kingdom of God? It begins with the fear of the Lord. As you begin to fear the Lord, it sets you free from all other fears. Remember, listen to this. What you fear is what you're a slave to. It's what you think upon. It's what you end up serving. Even if you denounce it, it's truth. Somebody say, I don't, I don't fear those thugs and walk outside. No, 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 I could get hurt. Okay, then that's why you're inside. Make all the proclamations you want. <laughs> But it's when you fear something, it's what you end up bowing down to. You don't just bow down to something because it's something you like. You bow down because you have fears about something. Why do we bow down to not talking about Jesus Christ in our workplace? Because we don't want to lose our job. Because we're fear of not being able to pay our house bills. And we're fear of losing everything. So we become a slave to our fear. Are you guys understanding? Yeah. Why are so many young people so caught up in what's newest today? Because they're fear of not being accepted. Oh, is that their age? No, that's their fear. And they don't need to be that way. Our teenagers do not need to look like the world. But they need to fear the Lord first. Remember I told you, and I'm going to come back to this. Remember I said before, if I said I loved you on Sunday, I think it was you sitting there too. Huh? I said I loved you on the street. That would be really weird. She would want to run away. She can't receive that love. Why? But then if she heard fast Pastor Dan and I said I loved her, she would be able to receive that love a little bit more than she could on the street. Why? Because I'm Pastor Dan. And she understands pastors usually supposed to be cool about that, right? 
but she's able to receive a little bit more. And then if she finds out I'm her father, how much more of that love can she receive? And see, a lot of us know God that loves us, but we kind of know him by, on the street and we're kind of running away from it. But if you know the one that loves you, it will set you free from everything. It will set you free from striding. How many want to have victorious lives with God and stop feeling condemned all the time? How many are done quoting Romans 8, 1? And want to actually live as not condemned? Come on. You have come to need milk and not follow solid food. Verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That those who will by reason to use their own senses exercise to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go to perfection. Did you guys hear what that just said? Leaving the discussion of elementary principles. Do you guys realize there are elementary principles? Now, elementary is really important. That's why we have it in our school systems. You learn the basic things of our education system so then you can understand the great things. Yes? So what you learn at 5, 6, 7, and 8 embraces the things you learn at 18, 19, 20, and 22 in college. You must have the elementary. If you don't have the elementary, then you can't have the higher education. So it doesn't take its place of importance, but again, this idea of order. There are elementary truths. Now, what are these elementary truths that the author of Hebrews is telling us that we need to leave as a discussion? It doesn't mean leave them. It means be empowered by them and walk with them. What is that? Pay attention to these. These things are crazy. Awesome. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. What's the first thing that's elementary? Repentance. What do we talk a lot about in church? What do we deal with almost every day in our life? Why do we have to keep on repenting? We must not be fully fearing the Lord. Do you believe that we could, uh, how many believe that after we're saved, I, I don't know what you believe, I'm just, I, don't, I don't know, and mine has definitely changed in time, but you, you get saved. Are you a sinner or are you holy? It's kind of a weird question, right? But we never really think about what are we? Are we sinners or are we holy? Both? We're human. Yeah. So what we're really saying is from our experiences, we believe that we're sinners and holy. Striving to our... Uh, but then that would be us working. But then if you no longer live at Christ's lasagna, then how can that be? But he didn't say I'm making a... You guys are really good. And this, I'm, you guys are actually the most, and I'm going to give you a huge compliment right now, the most intelligent church I've ever asked this question to right now. I'm, 
It doesn't mean I'm not going to, we're not, we're going to take you down a path, but I want you not to go, oh, he's, it's not about right or wrong. It's about a journey together, right? There's no, nothing wrong yet. We're just talking about a journey. Did he say you're an old creature becoming new or you're an old creature that or now you are a? One, let me ask you something. Does being a sinner take any faith to believe that you're a sinner? It's something you've done, something you know, and something you're really good at, right? So it takes no faith. But doesn't it say without faith you cannot please God? What takes faith? To be holy. If you're a sinner and you believe you're a sinner, then you're going to go back to sin. Have you ever had, like, nice clothes on and then you kind of get dirty? And then you hate that, right? Especially in the 80s, white was really popular back then, right? White clothes, white jeans, it was stupid. Oh my gosh, right? And you try to keep that thing clean, and then all of a sudden, like, it gets a little bit dirty. Next thing you know, you're just like wiping your hands. You don't care anymore. See, if a pig gets clean, it's still going to go back to the pig pen because it's still a, it must become a new creature to be set free from its nature. Now, Is his blood only good enough to forgive our sins and only forgive our sins in the future, or is it good enough to actually empower us to never want to sin again? How powerful is his blood? When we say that we're always going to sin while we're on earth, are we saying the Holy Spirit is not more powerful than the desire of sin? These are big questions. How many know the enemy always wants, if he can't get you to believe there isn't a God, then he sure wants to make you sure think you can't be like him? Are you guys staying with me? Let's look in 1 Peter 4.1. I'm just taking a dive a different way. We're going to come back, hopefully, Hebrews 6. I don't even know. We're just having fun today, right? But remember, elementary truths, right? What is the difference between grace and mercy? That's why I like that way of saying that's really good. Mercy is forgiveness for something you do not deserve. Grace is the empowerment to be, li- to be able to live divine, to live heavenly, to be the answer of God's prayer that he taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? How many know that takes a lot of faith? I'm going to make it really clear. It is impossible for you and I not to sin. That's why it takes Jesus. Nothing's impossible for him. Oh, come on. That's a good word. 1 Peter 4, 1 says this, pay attention, it's so good. Pastor was journaling with us in worship. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Go to verse 2. Awesome, you are so good. Verse 2, 1 Peter 4, 2 says, I'll keep reading here. If I can find it now, I lost myself. That he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the... Did you guys see what that just said? You and I can put ourselves in a position before God never to desire to go after sin again. Is he coming back for a bride that's trying to get his pure and spotless, or is he coming back for a bride that is pure and spotless? 
It's not one that gets there. He's coming back for that one. How many know that's pretty awesome? He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. Now, I get to, because I'm around the age group of that 18 to 30, right? And so they're all getting married. And there's like tons and tons of weddings that are going on around me. And these brides will say, hey, Dan, you know, would you come? You're like a father in my life. You're my, my pastor in my life. Would you come and, and bring us and, and, and do the ceremony for me and my future husband? I'm like, sure, I'd love to. And, you know, they'll be really close to me. And actually, like Alicia, she's really close to me. And, and she's about to get married to AJ. I don't know if you guys know they're engaged now. And so if they're holding hands and stuff, they got the license. You know, well, kind of close. It's a good half license. So it's a working permit. They got a permit. And so uh, they're engaged. They're whatever. And so, um, but the, and Alicia, she's really comfortable around me. Been around me almost eight years. Done ministry. I've seen that girl just grow up. And I've seen going through her stuff. And we're just really close. And she's close to my family. And if she, right now, she would just come and give me a big old hug. And so I get to do the wedding at January 23rd next year. And when I go there, uh, I usually go and hang out with the guys. I hang out with AJ and do that. And before the bride puts on her wedding dress and stuff, and she's in normal clothes, I run in there, and I'll make sure she's okay, ask if there's anything we could do. I'll be praying. I'll pray with her real quick. We'll get embraced. And a lot of times I get tears because they're so excited about getting married. And blah, blah, blah. And we just hold each other for a minute. Awesome. All right, go. And then I go back to AJ. We get our clothes all on. You know, we had clothes on before, but, you know, the right clothes. And so, and then... Right before, right before the ceremony, I'll go back in and I'll see Alicia. And this has happened to me every time because I forget. And I even preach on it, I still forget. And I, I'll see them, like, oh, hey, and I'm thinking to hug, like our normal hugs. Just, you know, embrace each other. We do a side hug, but it's a tight hug. Like, and I'll go to embrace them, but all of a sudden they have a dress on. And it doesn't matter who I've been in her life. That dress was meant for one. And she doesn't want anyone else's hands on that dress. You guys staying with me? Right. Do you think she thinks it's an obligation to stay holy? Or do you think she's so in love, it's her opportunity to stay holy? Holiness is not an obligation for those that are lovers. It's an opportunity. It's not, oh, I have to because he's coming back. It's, what else would I be doing? Stay away. <laughs> Woo, come on, church. When you fear the Lord and you know the one you're going to marry, you're going to put that thing on right now and you're going to make sure during all this dirt and dust and muck and mire that that bad boy isn't going to get touched. Not because you're saying, look at how you have to be holy to get God as some kind of doctrine, but have holy response and love going, I want nothing. I want to be pure and spotless like Esther, waiting for him to come and look upon me. But if you don't know the one you're going to marry, you don't know the one that's coming for you, if you don't have the fear of this one that's coming, then listen to me. What you're going to do is you're going to have to principles of being holy, but you're going to have dirt all over you because you're going to let anyone that has intimacy give it to you. But see, when you fear the Lord, because see, if you don't fear the Lord, then you're not just drawn to his intimacy. You're drawn to all intimacy. But it's time for the church to be focused on one intimacy. It goes on. There's so many scriptures about you and I being holy. Someone turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3.17. Who would do that and read it out loud for me? 1 Corinthians. We're going to go fast. We're going to do some rapid fire real quick. 1 Corinthians 3.17, who would read that for me out loud? Somebody, come on, raise your hand. You're going to look it up. We got a, you, got a, you got a Bible? 1 Corinthians 3.17, somebody almost there? If anyone destroys God's temple, God destroys him, for God's temple is sacred and you are God's people. God's temple is sacred. In other words, it says it's holy. God's temple is holy. Do you guys get He says, anybody messing with that temple, I'm going to mess with it because that temple is holy. And he says, you are that temple. 
turn to, somebody turn to Romans uh, 6, 6. Romans 6, 6. And then also somebody turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Romans 6, 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that a body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer, verse 7, be slaves to what? Woo! And can I just give it to you? It's not in this version, but you see how that's singular? In the Young's Little Translation, a slave to the sin. No longer slave to the sin. Woo! How many want to be slave to the sin? Listen, if you're no longer serving your kingdom, going after what you want, but you're going after God and you're learning to love what he loves and hate what he hates, then how are you going to sin? Oh, come on, church. If you're learning to, see now, if you're just obeying him as Lord, but you're not loving what he loves and hating what he hates, then you're going to be tempted to sin and you're going to sin. But if you're sitting there being sanctified, it says you are sanctified, being sanctified. What does that mean? You are holy, becoming holier. Does everybody remember the tabernacle, the, the structure of the tabernacle? Pretty simplistic thing. I'm going to draw it out here. I'm not an architect, so please don't get mad. All right? So here is, wow, here is the outer courts. Okay. Here's the outer courts. What's in the outer courts, everyone? Does anybody remember it being the tabernacle? What was in the outer courts? The altar, the blood, the water. We can talk about that tomorrow, I think. Blood and water, right? The sacrifice, blood and baptism. Hmm. Then you come on into the, what's this called? The inner courts or the holy place. What's in the holy place? The bread, oh, you must eat of the bread of life. The lamp, the light, you must be the light. What else is in there? The incense, the prayers of the saints. Are you guys with me in this? Pretty cool stuff going on here, right? And it's called the what again? How does it get any holier than the holy place? I don't know, but they have something called the holy of holies. Are you guys staying with me? But you have to start out holy before you can ever get to holy of holies. See, we always want to do things like check it off. Like, I'm holy, I'm good. Well, that's cool that you're holy, but you're still not good. You're perfect being perfected. You're holy becoming holier. You're sanctified becoming more sanctified. But you start out as holy. You start out as a new creature. Not an old creature trying to get better. This is not refurbishing a car or a house. This is a whole new thing. But see, if you don't realize it, then you won't know your identity. You're going to keep on going back to the sin. But see, if you know the one that says you are a new creature, you won't look in the mirror and disagree with him. But see, if you don't fear him, you'll try to take his advice. Okay, I mean, I'm a, I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. But what you see will dictate you. How many are done being dictated by what you see? And want to begin to see what he sees. But then you must see him in order to get his eyes. And he wants to open our eyes that we might see. Too many of us are offended with God about even our own selves. And we really think we're not good enough. So we've built doctrines to say that we are going to sin. In Romans chapter 7. That's where and I can't, I'm not, for the sake of time, I can't go down it too far. But in Romans chapter 7 is what most people use as Paul saying that we're going to continue to sin. Because everybody believes Paul was the greatest saint ever. Jesus was the greatest one. Just make that clear. And can I just give some good Bible doctrine here? You don't study Paul to figure out Jesus. You study Jesus to figure out Paul. Paul does not interpret Jesus. Jesus interprets Paul. You start with the truth. And this is important. But Paul doesn't mess up anything in this. 
Romans 7 uses not the word sin, it's the sin. Paul says, and Paul says in Romans 7, 1, he says, I'm talking to those of the law. So he switches from talking to the whole church, the Gentiles, and he says, now I'm talking to my homeboys that know where I've been in the law. And he starts talking as a first person. And he says, I was bound to the sin. And if he's bound to the sin, can he even be saved? No. So what is he doing? He's talking past tense in first person. Talking to his guys that are trying to try to be holy in their way, saying, you can't do it. I've tried. Let me tell you how it works. If you have the sin in you, you're always going to keep on trying to be holy, but you always get back into sin. Whole Romans 7, he even goes, there's nothing good in me. And then in Romans 18, he says, I mean, Romans 8, he says, oh, but the Holy Spirit's in us. So how could Paul say there's nothing good in him? He's full of the sin and be saved. He couldn't be. But Paul's talking about that. And the other part says in John, 1 John, it says, if you said you have not sinned, then you're a liar. But then if you read the next verse, it says, so therefore declare Jesus Christ and forgiveness, and he will set you free. So it's for those saying, because why is he saying that? Because Jews believe they had no sin. It was not for us that have already repented. Because then he goes on and says, if you have Christ and you have sin, you, mu- you do not have Christ. Oh, come on now. We are holy. Then why do we keep on sinning? And there's many more verses if you want them. I can't go to them all. I said them a few, but I just didn't even go to them because of sake of time. Why do we sin? Why do, as Christians, if we get off the throne and give God the throne of our life, why do we end up sinning? Just because you give God and you have a desire to want to love what he loves and hate what he hates does not mean you do that yet. Just like when I get married, I want to please my wife. I just don't know fully how to do that yet. Now, to have a good marriage so we don't end up divorced, I can't say, well, I don't know how. You're just going to have to deal with my not know how. I have to lay down my life to figure out how. Sanctification is not a time to give you more time to figure it out. It's to let you know that you better be really proactive in getting it done. What happens to us? What causes us as believers to then possibly go into sin? I want to make it clear, clear. We are capable of sinning as believers, but we're empowered not to sin again. I mean, it says grace, we're saved by what? That means to be empowered, to live differently. Not mercy. Now, mercy and grace are like a rope. You need both of them. But grace means I'm empowered to live differently. I can live like heaven on earth, pure and spotless, waiting for my. Oh, come on now. What gets us? I want you to turn. We're going to come back to Hebrews 6, I think, or we might have to finish tomorrow. I'm not sure. Go to James chapter 4 real quickly. James 4. Is this good? Are are you guys staying with me on this? James 4, verse, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Let me remind you, the book of James is written to believers. So he's saying, hey, where are these fights coming among you? Why are you guys fighting in the church? Why are you guys pointing your finger at every other Christian and then having love for all the sinners? Come on now. Where are these wars and fights coming from among you? Do they not come from your what? Now, desires are not evil as long as your desires are his desires. Your desires that are self-seeking are the problem. But God's seeking desires are just fine. 
And what's cool about God seeking desires, he will meet your desires beyond your comprehension. Your desire to be loved, just seek him, and you'll have so much love that you won't need to be married. You can get married. Oh, come on, someone. You can get in such a place of intensity with God that you no longer need anything anymore. You're good to go. Everything's just the icing. He will meet. That desire to be loved is awesome. Just don't you go after it for yourself. Because actually, if you read a little bit further up in James, James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise? Those that fear the Lord, right? And understanding among you, let him who show good conduct that his work are done in meekness and wisdom. How can we be do things in wisdom and meekness? Only if we what? First, what? Fear the Lord. Not in concept, but a baptism of reality. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. Who is he talking about right now? Christians. Say, if you got envy, well, those guys over there, look what they're doing. Or look at that church. Or look at these people. Or look at that husband. Or look at that wife. Or look at these kids. Look at that education. Look at that city. Look at that piece of property out there. Envy. Self-seeking. He says, believers, where's all these wars coming among? You got self-seeking going on. So here you are. You give God the throne. He's still on the throne. But you're kind of looking around going, they seem to be like loving you, but they're not right here. And you start, God, I want to be loved. I, I love you. I'm not trying to. And what you begin to do, can I grab this chair right here? I don't know how it disconnects. Pull it up. Oh, praise God. So simple. Pastor, would you come up here for a minute? pastor's a lot bigger than me. He's really tall and strong. So he's going to be Jesus. And so I get off the throne. I said, God, I, the sin, I don't want to be king of my life anymore. I want you to do it. I want to love you and be in love with you. And here I am. And I'm looking at you and I'm watching what you're doing. And so I start watching what you're doing. And Oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. But where does he want my attention? Does he want my attention over here and all the things he's doing? Where does he want my attention? Man, I want to be loved like that. Yeah, man, they have love like that. Wow. That's really cool you cause them. I want, I'm kind of feeling lonely. Wow, there's one. See that? No? No? Okay. Well, there's one. God, I'm getting older. There's one over there. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Yes. Get that big booty on over. Yeah, I know. Are you guys catching this? And then all of a sudden we start fighting for what we want. It's not that we don't love God, but we're starting to have desires and self-seeking. And love is selflessness. Yes? But we say, well, God, you're doing it for others. Can't you? So we start having envy for what God is doing, and we end up on the throne. We're not trying to kick him off. We're just trying to be there with him. Wow. We're calling this intimacy. And he's calling this treason. You guys staying with me? Turn with me to, I'll probably pull you back up there in a second. Oh, it's so good. Oh my gosh, guys. I'm having such an awesome time in my head right now. <laughs> verse, chapter 1, verse 12 of James. Verse 1, chapter 12. I mean, verse 12. Oh gosh, we got to hurry. Kids in school and all that. Man, I so want you guys to be blessed. Verse 12. I, I know this is the Lord, though, so I'm just going to be confident in that. James 1 verse 12 blessed is the man now who is he talking to again believers right who endure what for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life when do you receive the crown of life this is key church are you ready for this this is not meat I mean this is not milk this is meat 
You ready for this? Just because you enter the kingdom does not mean you're going to inherit the kingdom. There's a difference between, we tell everybody you enter, you get to automatically inherit. That's not true. You can't inherit unless you've entered. But you look at the scriptures and it'll tell you, this is how you enter. And then it'll also say, this is how you inherit. How does one, how does one get, a, get the crown, receive the crown of life? They're already saved because now they have to do what? Go back. Verse 11 again. Or James, uh, little, yeah. Blessed is the man who what? Endures temptation. You can't endure temptation unless you've been saved. How do you get the crown of life? That you actually endure it. That you stay here and stop being tempted like Lucifer was, looking at the glory of God and all that he was doing like Eve was, looking at all that they could have being like God and say, no, I want you. I don't want to have my own image of you. I want the true thing, you yourself and who you are. I want you. Keep your focus here. And when you resist the temptation, then you get the crown of life. How many want to get the crown of life? Yeah. Woo! It's probably the first one I'm going to throw right back at his feet and go, man, you are life. And then it goes on to go down to verse 14 for the sake of time. He says, but each one, talking about believers, he's speaking to believers right now, but each one is tempted. When what? By his drawn way, by his own what? So he's talking to believers. He says, you're great, you're holy, we're good to go, but you have to watch out for something. He's trying to show you what your battle is. Your battle is not against sin, believers. Your battle is your desires of your heart for good or for evil. Deal with them. Stay before the Lord. He says, delight in me, Psalm 37, 4, and I will give you the desires of your heart. The key is delight in him. Don't delight in your own stuff. Don't take God's blessing and God's riches and be the prodigal son running with what the inheritance God's given you, saying, well, he still loves me. Don't do that. He is your inheritance. Oh, come on, someone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Real quickly, and this, we're going to end on this, Joshua 7, verse 20. We're going to come back to this verse if you can. Joshua 7, verse 20, let me set it up. They're going into the promised land. They're taking over the promised land. That's, going to be, that's an exciting moment. Right, 40 years in the desert and finally get to go to the promised land. And they're conquering. And one of the places God says, do not take anything. This one's mine. How many of you know the first city is always his? First, first fruit, first of your money, the first city was his. Pay attention, guys. Don't give God any tithe. Give him the first of your money. Don't give him the leftovers. There's many of you in poverty because you're doing it on your principles and your fear instead of God's principles and his joy. Oh, come on. That will set a lot of you free right there. We might talk about that more tomorrow. All right, so, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord of God. Oh, sorry. Get stuck up about that whole thing. So here's this. They go into battle. And they, and then something, and they go in, and this guy Aiken takes some stuff, and he, no one knows it. They win, though. And, and there's some stuff left over, some gold and some clothing, and Aiken sees it, and he takes it. Well, they go to another battle, and Joshua doesn't know it, and they begin to lose. I love it. They only lose, they go in thousands of people, and they lose 13 people or something like that. And they pull back out and go, man, there's something wrong. We shouldn't have lost anyone. And then Joshua has the wisdom to go, there's sin in the camp. You want to know why the Holy Spirit can't fall most of the time? Because there's sin in the camp. Your sin don't just affect you, it affects the body. And leaders today are scared to call sin out thinking it's judgmental, when actually calling sin out is mercy. God's judgments are mercy, my friends, but it's still a judgment. Whew. 
Man, we got to stop trying to build Babylon, the Tower of Babel. Let heaven come and stop trying to get earth to heaven. We take earthly principles. Be nice to people. Being nice to people is actually telling them right where they're at. Look in their eyes and call out what's inside them so they can be set free. Not cover it with them. Then you're covering your own eyes. Jesus, let us our eyes be open. Oh, so where was I? Oh, yeah. And so Achan, uh, so they come back and Achan comes up to him. This is Achan talking to Joshua, confessing what he did. He said, and Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. Verse 21. I didn't turn my Bible there, so I'm waiting on you. That's good. Good job, son, man. You're going to be a preacher, brother. Good job. What's the first thing he did? What's the first thing Achan did? You guys see the first thing he did? When I what? When I looked. Now listen, everybody had to look at this stuff because they had to bring it. They had to pick it up and bring it. So they, they looked at it just like all of you are going to be able to see the world. You can't hide your eyes. You can try to cut off the internet. You, can, you can't drive. You, you, you'd have to go like be a monk up on the mountains and you'd still probably get caught up with something. It's everywhere, right? You're going to see it. But he looked upon it. He stirred it. He didn't have his heart with Joshua. He had his heart for himself. He thought since he had a victory, he deserved a little love too. Come on now. And so he saw it. And then it goes on. The next verse says in verse 22, so the first problem was he saw it. Number two was that it says he coveted. The other word is desire or lusted it. Lust means strong desire. You guys staying with me? So he saw it. Then what happened? He then desired it. Can we get, do you get there? He saw it. Go to verse, can you go to verse 22? And then he desired it. So he looked upon it. And now, how many know when you start meditating upon it, what begins to happen? You're going to have a hard time resisting temptation. Now desire comes into play. And then what does he do? He takes it. He looked, he desired, and he took. Write that down. This is what you need to watch out in your own life. He looked, he desired it, and he took it. For me, there are certain songs. I don't know what your belief is about secular music or not. I don't think all secular music's bad. I believe most of it's about self-kingdom, so you have to really pay attention to that. I think it's about their own kingdoms being glorified, so that's an issue. But there are some songs that I used to listen to that were about love or whatever, but in that time of listening to it, I was in a really bad place in my life. And so if I listen to that music, guess what that caused me to do? Look back at what I was, remember what I was doing, and guess what I'm going to want to take? The song itself is an evil where it brings me is. I don't make decisions on uh, what kind of movie. I don't make decisions based on if it's a radar movie or not. I know I'm such a sinner. I'm not. I'm holy. You say, you watch radar movies? I watch Passion of Jesus, and it's rated R. You got right? Passion of Jesus is rated R. I've turned off VeggieTales. You say, you've turned off VeggieTales? Oh, yeah. Say, so why would you turn off vegetables? Because my kids don't fight very often, if ever. We have set a culture just where our kids are just, they love each other. And we sit there, and this veggie tale is about two brothers and sisters not liking each other from the get-go, and they're talking bad about each other. And my kids kept on looking at me like, they watched even like, and they're like, what's going on? Like, this, I'm like, oh, um, and the whole story of the vegetables is that they're actually going to get to know each other and, you know, get Jesus and love each other. We're, we're already there. 
I don't want my kids to see something, see that they can have their own way, want it, and take it. Guess what we did? We turned off that VeggieTale. We don't make decisions based off somebody else's rating. We make something based on the culture that we want to live in. Oh, come on, someone. We base it off the culture we want to live in. That's what I make my decision. Because what I look upon is what's going to cause me to desire it, and I'm going to take it. You don't can't sit there and watch movies with a bunch of lust and then want to try to capture every thought. You can't, you can't sit there and watch tons of violence and wonder why you still have an anger problem. You guys got to take your eyes off of these things and someone else may be able to watch something you cannot watch. You can't judge that. You let God judge them, but you judge your own heart saying, what can I look upon and what can I not? If it takes my eyes off the throne of God, then I cannot look. I've been watching this. I like news. I go to Fox News. Just kind of sketch what's going on. I barely ever do it anyway. I don't watch I don't have TV cable at my house. I have a TV, but no cable or anything like that. So we don't get to watch any of that stuff. So every once in a while I go in there, man, they got stuff on the bottom that just says some really bad stuff. I don't go on there anymore. It's, just, it's like, I can't. It's just news, I get it, but even that news causes my heart to go somewhere. I can't let it go. Now, I'm not telling you to turn off Fox News or CNN. News. I'm not telling you that. Do whatever you want. I can't get so caught up in politics and then my heart goes there. I start worrying about my American life instead of my kingdom life. I didn't say I'm not going to pray and vote. I didn't say that. I just can't be caught up in everybody else's issues. I got to hear the Lord. Come on, are you guys catching this? And so what is the problem for the believer? It's not sin. It's taking our eyes. Why, but why do we take most of us, why did Dan Palmer know about the Lordship message but still didn't have, let God stay on the throne? It's because I had a lot of other desires outside what the Lord had for me. I wanted to obey him too, but I had these other desires in my life. And so I look upon them and they weren't all evil. Like wanting to be loved. That's not evil. Well, then I began to do it, and I began to do good and bad things, but there were not life things anymore because my eyes weren't on him. How many know wherever your eyes are out in the road is where you're going to go? Look left, and then you'll go left. Look right, you'll go right. <laughs> Look down, and you go bang. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to end on this verse here. Verse 14, but each one, talking to Christians, verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. When are we tempted? When I brought away by whose desires? My own desires. <laughs> Woo! And that's what I just got done sharing with you. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. What gives birth to sin? Do I start out holy though? After I get saved, am I holy? Yes. What's going to cause me to go to sin? And so a lot of us are going, well, this is, many of us are making decisions. This is good and this is bad. Wrong reason to make decisions. What's, good, what's lighting up your desires other than what God would have for you? That's how you make your decisions. It's not based on good morals or bad morals. Although, yes, you could probably look at it that way, but that's the wrong way to look at it. You want to look at what causes your desires to light up. That's what you're looking for. That's what you must shut down. You guys staying with me? Each, so I watch a war movie. I mean, I like war movies. I feel like God's really showing me those warriors. I, I never planned on being a preacher. I thought I'd be in, in, in uh, military and go special forces and all that. That's what I thought. And then probably be a cop or something like that. I just, my whole focus on God just messed me up, tricked me, 
mess me up, flip me out, and here I am today doing what I do today. But he said, Dan, I actually did make you a warrior. And you are special forces. You're just on my side. Woo! Like, yeah, go on. So I don't have any tattoos or anything on and like that. would be cool. But I, I still feel that in my heart. So I watch war movie, and it gets me amped up to do what I do. I mean, I'm just like, I'm not thinking about people. and get, I'm thinking like, Jesus, let's go kick the darkness. Dude, I'm so tired of talking about like darkness is big. Man, when I walk in the room, the enemy trembles. You say, Dan, that's a lot of pride. No, it's humbleness. I agree with him. I don't agree with my own head. My head says he doesn't, but he says he does because he lives in me. You guys, guys, it's hard for me. You guys, well, that's really, it's really hard for me to say that. But I heard him say it to me, and I got to believe him over my own head because I got my butt kicked by Satan a few times. So I don't always feel like that would be true. But it doesn't matter what I feel like. It matters what is truth. And I'm going to line myself up to what he says, not what you say or what anyone else says, but what he says. And if Christ is in me, the hope of glory, then Satan's worried about me. I don't need to be worried about him. Woo! That's called an abundant and victorious church. Oh, come on, someone. The desire to want to be humble can cause you to sin if you do it your way. Pay attention. We call humbleness, we would call what I just did pride. And God would call that humbleness. Pride is arguing with God. To say that I'm not a man of God would be pride. To say that I am a man of God would be humble. It applies to you too if you're saved. What does God say that you are? You no longer live what Christ lives in you. What does that make you now? Oh, well, praise God, just, you know. No, that's pride. Remember Moses wrote, I am the most humble man? Because he's actually writing about himself. (laughs) He wrote it. He wasn't lying. He was agreeing with God. And that's humbling to agree with God. We want to beat ourselves up and say we're not worthy. He says, no, you are worthy. We want to say we're not good enough. That pastor he's been doing, I, I'm just a regular guy. That's a lie. And you're act, trying to act like you're humble. In reality, your desire to be humble outside of what ways God is, is causing you to walk outside of God's will for your life. So even the good things, if you take your eyes off of God, you say, well, God, let me show you. I know what humble is. I got it. He's like, no, you don't know what humble is. Humble is agreeing with me, not with you. Oh, I just have an addiction problem. You're agreeing with the wrong thing. No, you do not. In the name of Jesus Christ, be set free right here and right now. That's powerful stuff. And it's really humbling. Because I know who I am. I know my failures. I know my insecurities. And so it goes on saying, but each one's tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now, this translation doesn't say it, neither will this one. But the Young's literal say it. It says, and the sin. The sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. What does that mean? Here it is. I have the desire to be loved, the desire to think what I think is humbleness is. And then I begin to disagree with God. And I start to begin to move God off of it. Sin is taking place in my life. What is sin? Me want my way. Even I call it God's way, but it's still my way. What I think humbleness is versus what he thinks humbleness is. 
You guys stay with me. What I think love is versus what he thinks love is. And then as I sit here, it says, then the sin, what's the sin? The desire for the throne takes fullness unto death. I'm trying to show you how to win your battle so you no longer have to lose. Sin is not your problem anymore. You have victory over sin. Come on, come on, hallelujah. How many know it's almost scary to say when you might have sinned about 40 minutes before you got here? How many know it's scary to say that, right? Oh, what are you going to fear? Fear of failure or fear of God? We're afraid we won't sin again. Say that. We're afraid that, to say we won't sin again instead of fearing God. How many want to believe you're not going to sin again? How many know you need to spend a lot of time with Jesus to make sure that happens, right? You may get your head on. You better spend time and get his nature. You're holy, and you become holier. Guys, it's time for the Christian to live a victorious life. I don't know about you, it's just when I actually understand things and I feel like I can, I can win things. But we must understand who God sees it. Can I have 30 more seconds? I'm not preaching any scripture, I already preached it all. But this will really help you and we're going to stand up. We're not going to have an altar altar call today. We're going to stand up so we'll be done, so that will really help you. God just gave this to me a little while ago. If you can see this, I hope you can. This is us right here. This is me and you. We're really quirky. And how many know that we have a desire in our quirkiness? We have two things going on. We have really strong desires, right? We have lust inside of our life the moment we're born. Kids have it, right? We talked about that yesterday. The kids lust for that ball. We make them scream and freak out because they want something so bad. We all have this really weird thing called strong lust and desire. And then we also have this thing called fear of failure. Just total fearful. Like, and we do anything to make sure we don't show fear. Dress the right way. Do this right things. Talk a certain way. Appropriate, we, right? Isn't that what we do? We want to make sure we're, we're up to date, make sure our Facebook's good. Everything's like, how many people like my comment, right? We're always like afraid that people, we don't put the right comment, that people aren't going to like it. All is fear, right? Are you guys staying with me? So we have a strong desire for people to like us and fear that they're not going to. How many know we're really messy people? How many know you, if you actually own that, then you can give that away? <laughs> so that's us. And we're born with this, with this really entrapment of uh, the enemy. The enemy is speaking into our lives. He's our counselor at that time. Before Jesus, we have another counselor, don't we? I want to make it clear. I know in America we think Satan's in hell and he can't talk to you. If he can talk to Jesus, he can talk to you. Right? He can, may not be able to possess you, but he can influence you. This is really important. This last piece is here. He can influence you. That's why it says in Ephesians, as a Christian, do not give him any room. Because if you give him room, he'll take more. He wants to influence you and move in your life, to lead you and guide you. How many know this voice does not sound like this? <sighs> There are demons that sound like that, I'm sure. They're probably sick. But it sounds like you because the only voice you've been so used to listening to since the day you were born is a voice you know in your head, and it sounds just like you. Have you ever heard yourself on recording and go, that's weird, that's me? Right. Sounds different than your head? Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Who's your brain having a conversation with when you're reasoning something out? Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe that's what you've been thinking. problem is you've been having the wrong conversation. The only time someone got called Satan outside of Satan himself was Peter. And he says, you cannot go die. How many know? We see Peter like, you idiot, you're talking to Jesus. How, do you, how many know that if you, we all want to do good for Jesus, right? And then here's Jesus saying, man, these guys are going to come and get me. I'm going to go die. He's like, no, I, you're not going to die. I'm here for you. How many know that sounds really good? He's trying to help Jesus. 
We would all, yeah, Peter, that's right, man, we're with you. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, get behind me. He didn't go out and lust. He didn't go out and rob someone. He didn't go out and murder anyone. Jesus didn't even call the Pharisees Satan. He called a dude that followed him for three and a half years Satan. You know what he says after that? Because you reason like men. When you reason, it's because you want to have a conversation here instead of a conversation in the throne room. Are you guys catching this? Reasoning is a conversation here instead of a conversation. Somebody says, you have a mind to use it. I say, yeah, I have a mind. It says, capture every thought and take it above. Renew this mind that I know the perfect goodwill of God. It's, it's not me and my mind that I need to be paying attention to. I need to be paying attention to him and not using this bad boy besides when I'm listening. And so this is what we are. Then we get saved. We automatically get set free from this bad guy over here. How many know you're set free the moment you get saved? Yeah? Come on. Jesus does. Saves us. We're done. That bad boy's done. And we get the Holy Spirit. Yes. We surround ourselves. I love this. And all these images came to me, and I don't know why, but then now I kind of have a little bit more description. How many see you got to squeeze the Holy Spirit to get him to come out of you powerfully? Guys, the Holy Spirit wants to be hugged. He doesn't just want to be hanging out with you, and you're like, yeah, I get the Holy Spirit. He wants you to grab him all day long and go, come on, Holy Spirit, give me what you got. And he'll pour it all out. He'll just keep flooding out of you, man. It's awesome, right? But then it says, do not give room to the enemy. How many know, accidentally, not knowing, being deceived, because we think it's our voice, guess who we give room to again? How messy are we now? And most of us do not know the voice of God day to day. We know the voice of God when we go to preach, or that moment you know the voice of God, like you just know, right? Those big moments. We know Satan, too, when it's really obvious, when he's over-condemning or over-hating us. Like, that's obvious, Satan. And so we know when extreme moments, but day to day, ordering from McDonald's or getting our car or turning on TV or going, we have no idea what we're listening to. And if we have no idea what we're listening to, then how do we know what desires are coming from where? And so when we walk around as this mess and we have these desires to follow God because we have the Holy Spirit, but we have these desires to follow good, that's not always God. Like having a house, car, and all those things, the very things he told us to get rid of. He said, well, can't we have them? Uh, you, can, you can't have them, but you sure can manage them. Just remember whose they are. Come on, let's say that again. You can't have them, but you can manage it. This, this guy was walking. He was a jeweler uh, by trade. He was walking through this flea market, and there's a bunch of junk. There's an old man in the back of this one big old spot, and there's like an old can. He looked in the can, and in the light, he saw something really beautiful inside of it, and it was and he pulled it out, and it was the biggest pearl he's ever seen in his life. It's worth more than a lifetime. He put it back in and thought, this old man has no idea what he has in here. Hey, old man, how much do you want for this can? The old man looked back and says, how much do you have? The guy said, oh, wow. I have 3000 in my account, because he knew this guy must know a little bit more. The guy says, okay, it'll cost you that. He said, well, I need to go to the bank to get it. I need to get my car. He says, oh, you have a car. It will cost you that. Well, how am I going to get to my house? Oh, you have a house. It will cost you that. Where is my wife and kids going to sleep? Oh, you have a wife and child. It will cost you that. Are you guys catching this? And then the old man said, and the guy said, okay, then I'll take it. And the old man says, then you can keep the car, keep the house, keep the wife and children. Make sure you realize who they are so when I come for them, you don't fight me on it. Come on, church, right? But see, most of us have no idea, so we have these good desires, and we're all caught up. We don't know, and we're trying to figure it out unless it's a big God moment, and this is where we're at, and so our desires get messed up, so we're over here on Sunday doing this, and we're over here on Monday doing this, and by Wednesday we're over here, and then back again over here, and then we find ourselves by Saturday over here again. 
I mean, this is the Christian life, and this constantly no peace and no rest, and the Lord does not want that for you. He wants to set you free, and tonight we need to be delivered from this voice, the voice of reasoning, and start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But you won't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit unless you had a revelation of the fear of God that will set you free from every other voice. Amen? Tonight, we're not going to have it coming up to the altar, but tonight if you're realizing, wow, I think I've encountered this voice a lot, and I have not been able to distinct that voice, but tonight I know what that voice is. And you've given room to the enemy with that voice. You didn't mean to, but you did. You get, let him give counsel and influence in your life. And guys, I just got delivered this from a few months ago. I, I, I remember when I was coming out of my sin, the guy said, when do I get to talk to Dan? I've been telling him everything. He's like, when do I get to talk to Dan? Because I was like making up excuses. And I said, you've been talking to me the whole time? He goes, no, I've been talking to your lawyer. This one... This voice here will always try to make you feel good about yourself the way you are and then condemn you for feeling that way. This voice will eat you alive, make you feel condemned, and at the same time then try to encourage you that you're okay just the way you're at. This voice, the Holy Spirit, will draw you. And the drawing is not a, it's not a thing. It's just this lightly touch and pull because the Holy Spirit's confident. He doesn't have to say much. doesn't need to yell. One's loud and one's quiet. Most of us... Never can hear the quiet voice because we're so used to the loud voice. Our voice is the child voice, the one full of lust and the one full of fear. Most of us don't know the difference between our voice, God's voice, or that voice unless it's extreme. But today you can know the difference. Yes, you might have strong desires. That's not a sin. It's what you look upon that matters. You might have some fear. That's okay. He says the love of God, Jesus will cast out all fear. Just got to look back at him and hold on to him and that love will go, that fear will go out of you. The other voice, though, will tell you, okay, you must have, you need, how you can't see that, that can't be true, you're still not really holy, you're, you're not really good enough, you're not really lovely. What voice is that? And you call that yourself. No, that's not yourself. A child does not identify himself. Why do you think he says, come to the kingdom like a child? Strip yourself of that adult voice and come back as a child. How's a child come? Tell me who I am. What do my daughters get dressed every day and every day they come to me? So guess what I can do? And they do it on their own. My wife doesn't tell them. They run up there and go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And they pull on me until I look. And I look down and go, oh, hi, baby. And they go, I go, perfect. Now they know who they are. They're empowered to walk perfect. That's why he wants us to come like a child. How many tonight want to come like a child, hear his voice, and be set free from that other voice? How many want to have the wisdom to know the three different voices in your head? And so you can tell it. Listen, that voice, the other enemy's voice is always going to talk. But now you'll be able to tell it, shut up. That voice has, always has facts, but never has truth. And because you're afraid, you want facts because you can handle those, right? But if you just trust the Lord and fear the Lord, then you walk in faith because you're trusting the Lord because you're fearing God. Even though you cannot see it, you deny the facts and say, that might be the facts that I can't do this and I can't do that, but my king can do all things. So I will look upon him and you might be, keep on talking to me. And I'm afraid right now, but I'm going to grab onto his cloak and I'm not going to let go. And he'll set you free from the power of that voice and you will be walking victorious lives. Tonight is time for the church to walk victorious. If you've been influenced by this voice, if you know that you've been influenced by voice, you love God, you hear God, but you realize you've had this voice and you, you're done with this voice. You want to have no more room in your life. If that's you, I just want you to stand up. Some of that voice is like, don't stand up, don't stand up, don't stand up. <laughs> right? It's like, don't do it. That means you're admitting to something. Thank God we're admitting to something. We give it away. Do you know what? You guys, you realize something? Pay attention. This is so cool. We just had deliverance just right then. Oh, did you think I was going to pray some like crazy prayer? 
We just had a deliverance service right now. How do I know? You listen to the right voice. You were just delivered from the wrong voice. May Jesus be with you as you go home. Amen. Oh, I lost my bottle of water.